Drive-by cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. Hello and welcome. It is Season 2, Episode 30 of Drive-by Cinema. The cinema where we watch movies so you don't have to. Hosted by me, Rick, and my co-host, Paul. Welcome. Sorry, I'm using jazz hands to applaud all that, so it might not come through. All right, well, it doesn't really come through on an audio podcast. It would for the bats. They could hear, like, the pressure changes from my hands near the microphone. (laughs) But not for others, sadly. The MP3 format encodes for bats, I would have thought. I don't know. Uh, Most London nightclubs use, like, those really expensive speakers, and apparently MP3 does not sound good on them because the human ear, unlike the human eye doesn't fill in for continuity with gaps of more than 40, 40 milliseconds, I don't think. And MP3 isn't encoded to that to that time gap, is it? Yeah, digital sources that the... I, I don't think they're particularly good with the very low frequency stuff. I don't know. But also, apparently, they're not very good with really high-quality speakers that, you know... If that sound is going for 40 milliseconds, it will just play for 40 milliseconds. I mean, most speakers, the mechanism will smooth over all that, won't it? So you'll get a continuous sound. Yeah, so welcome everybody to episode 30. I'm so stoked to be here. It's ridiculous. Corrections, Paul. Well, Oh, fuck, corrections. No, it's not... It's this not, not a correction facility. It's not made, it's, you're not meant to make it easy for us to suffer corrections, Richard. Taking facility in all its meanings there. When we discussed Spectral, we, I made, well, I, d- I made light of the fact that they were in Moldova and they were talking about Russians coming over the border, and yet Moldova... <laughs> you did rather, didn't you? Yeah. I think I suggested at the same time, sorry to interrupt, but I suggested that maybe Putin was only doing this to game the stock market, but oh, carry on, carry on, carry on. Yeah. I, Moldova borders the independent country of Ukraine, not Russia. I did say at the time that perhaps that was about to change, and I didn't mean to make light of a very serious situation. But as you say, I don't think many people seriously thought he would be crackers enough to do what he's done. Well, I mean, we've got to talk about this, haven't we? I mean, it could all have changed by the time this is published. But yeah, we're what, five days coming on to the sixth day into the Russian invasion of Ukraine. I mean, I thought he might invade the Donbass, the region, you know, that that was already disputed, yeah. Yeah. And the bit next door that I don't know how to pronounce. But to go, like, and invade from all sides, including Belarus, and go for Kyiv, or should we have to call it now, Paul? It'd be like calling it Champagne, I think you might claim. But I I like to call it Kyiv. Well, you see, the point is, I mean, he took Crimea, didn't he? And didn't get his hand slapped. And then, That's it. Yeah, it's all it all started then, didn't it? Really, you've got to trace it back to that. In Pavlovian terms, another 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 mighty <laughs> Russian. Uh, he kind of didn't get the feedback he should have got at that point, and also it's, it's standard last ten years practice in Russia. Uh, re-escalation, upping the stakes, is pretty much their only tactic, I think, in negotiations. So. But he's he's really screwed the pooch. This is a big mistake, surely. I mean, I, I mean, it's going to change Europe now for the rest of our lives, I think. We're going to end up in another kind of Cold War at some stage. 
But he's well. I mean, look, look at the instant ramifications. Uh, you know, he's united Europe against him. In fact, he's united the world against him. A Germany seventy years after the Second World War is now essentially rearming for NATO yeah. purposes, not for its own purposes, but taking its GDP spending up to two percent. Sorry, its military spending up to two percent of GDP. Uh, there should be some cause for celebration, I think, among British manufacturing. You know. Uh, that uh, some of that money will be divided, diverted away from BMW and uh, Audi and Volkswagen necessarily. BAE system stock is way up. Way up. And the Ukrainians putting up an amazing fight. And you know, who knew? I, I didn't know very much about U- Ukraine before this, but now I know mm-hmm. quite a lot about it. And I'm now their biggest fans as well. They seem to be amazing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, particularly telling people to fuck off as they're, you know, as they're potentially about to get about to get blown up. So, oh no, yeah, I've been emotional. But whatever happens, I mean, everyone's assuming that I think a war of attrition that Russia are going to grind this out. But they've taken terrible losses so far, and it's partly because they were so ill prepared. I was reading today that all of their communications are done. Uh, unencrypted using normal analog radios. In fact, they've been buying normal kind of ham radio handsets and using those in the field. So everyone's just listening to them. They don't know where they're going. There's no central command controlling them. You know, it's a disaster. I mean, they've really not planned this. Now, the other thing on Radio 4 I heard was that although strategically this does seem to be absolutely balmy, in terms of Compass Mentis, they don't see him as being deranged at the moment. They see him as still being, you know. I tell you what, he's put on, he's put on some lockdown timber, hasn't he? He's a bit chubby these days. He is. Could, could be chemo, couldn't it? I mean, maybe. They do say he maybe, might be ill. They were saying that he was holding his hand like he was suppressing a tremor. The guerrilla tactics that the Ukrainians are going to have to in the next few days really, really get a grip on. Uh, it, it seems like most of their air force has been rendered fairly, fairly useless because that huge 40 mile convoy is just not being touched at the moment, is it? It's just being led into the outskirts of Kiev. Unless, of course, they're going to pincer it and trap it and they're, they're drawing it in on purpose. Yeah, I think I don't know about that. I think they might be not touching that convoy because it may be seen as an escalation at the moment. I think if it starts moving, right. they'll have a go at it. I don't know, but they've we've given them a load of these N laws, which John Sweeney was talking about. They're really cool anti tank weapons, which I think they were originally Swedish weapons called the Billhook, which is what we gave them. Right, several thousand of these things. So, as I say, originally I think a Swedish development. And the way they work is uh, they've got two modes. You can either shoot directly, and you'd use that on a truck or a or a jeep or something. But for a tank, where you want to penetrate the armor, they automatically you switch them into the tank mode or whatever it is. They fly over the top, and when they when they are over the top, they automatically blow up, and they shoot a jet of vaporized metal straight downwards through the Whoa. top of the tank, which is weaker than the side armour and the front Vaporised metal. Yeah. It's a shape charge. And when it explodes, a cone of metal that's in there just vaporises and it becomes like an arrow, like a javelin of molten metal that Lava. shoots down. And it will go clean through the armour on the top of a tank. And Take you've got to imagine... 
Well, if you're sitting inside a tank with heavy armor on the front you got to jump out. And <laughs> this thing comes through the top. I mean, it'd be like sitting in a cast iron bath with an aluminium sheet across the top <laughs> and someone dropping you know, molten metal on top of it. Whoa. I mean, in terms of guerrilla tactics, Molotovs, by all means. But I would have, I was, you know, I was hoping to see from the Ukrainian side more use of radio control cars and cheap drones just to get him really close to tanks. Because radio control cars and cheap drones have very little, they've got a, a very small thermal shadow. Is that right? It's unlikely any kind of sophisticated thermal tracking device would be able to detect them. They could just go right in there, scoot along in there, and just drop some incendiary detonation device in the tracks of the tank and just take out one chink of that, that, that track and the, the tank is rendered useless, surely. Well, I think the thing is, if the Russians try to go into Kiev, it's a big city, it's got a metro system, and... And the signposts have been changed. The signs have been changed, and the Russians don't know where they're going anyway, because a lot of them have just been giving up, of course, and deserting and quitting their tanks, still full of fuel and ammunition. But uh, tanks in urban warfare are very vulnerable, you know, especially around high-rise buildings. You've got people from all sides shooting down or throwing Molotovs. And these Russian tanks aren't the newest, are they? So the Molotov is still, get that in the air supply, and you've really fucked it up, haven't you? I think a well-placed Molotov, you know, will take out even the newest tank. All of them breathe. You know, all, t- all, all tank engines have to breathe air, don't they? Otherwise, that the enormous gas turbines they use are not going to work, not to mention the crew. But we've been giving them so many anti-tank weapons. And suppose, suppose the tanks roll in and you've got a load of uh, resistance fighters in the metro tunnels. As soon as they they can pop up behind the tank column, and you know what what do you do about that? <laughs> really bad. Now it, it, the tracks will crunch it up, and when it gets round to the wheel corner, it'll just pop those tracks out. You know, and split split the chain. You want to so. you want to get over there, Paul? Apparently, you're welcome you know, to. Seriously, Richard, I was thinking about getting the ticket and going over to fight about two days ago, and then I got uh, a it, job offer. It so. occurred to me as well. Isn't that weird? I think we're shall we go bit, or not? We're slightly old, Paul. I think we might be a liability. 18 to 60. I kn- yeah, that's the locals, right? They're not going to welcome, a, a, you know, foreigners into a dad's army kind of legion. <laughs> I, actually, I can't squat. You know, that thing where you're supposed to sit cross-legged and see if you can no. get up without the use well, of your hands. Uh, no, I score okay. one out of ten on that. On the news just now, they were showing heroic pictures, more hero- heroism of Ukrainian people standing in front of a tank. And the guy, just one guy, he went to this tank, he, he put his hands on the front of it, and he, he, he stepped a couple of steps back, and then he, he knelt down in front of the tank. Yes, I've heard but, about this. I haven't, I haven't seen it. It was brilliant, brilliant. Uh, fortunately, though, other people came and stood behind him as well. And I, I thought he was probably quite relieved about that, because I think he stood up. <laughs> he realised his yeah. knees weren't good for kneeling on freezing <laughs> concrete in front of a tank. <laughs> I thought, I, fe- I feel you. I feel you. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I'm probably not best for active duty uh, at this age, but I'd sure like to go and help in some way. Well, until then, we better listen to this music.
and talk about Requiem for a Dream. This is Darren Aronofsky, Paul, 2000. Yeah. Now, can I just interrupt here? We've got two sort of enfant terrible directors that we're returning to at some point. He's the first one. The other one is Lars von Triers or something like that. That was the other film we suggested the other week, yeah. Well, Aronofsky is the guy who did Mother, the biblical allegory with Exclamation mark. Which I thought was dog shit. (laughs) Listen, though... I think this, this guy, film. I think this film. This guy is, did Mother, which you thought was dog shit. The other guy I've just mentioned did Dogville, which did was, include dog shit. So. <laughs> I think this is a much better film than Mother. I don't know whether you'd agree with that, but it is widely uh, regarded as one of the most sort of disturbing and depressing films. Can I take forty-five minutes to either agree or disagree with your statement? Then <laughs> I'll decide when we discussed it. Let's yeah, come well, back to that. When we come back to the scores at the end, you might have a better idea. Is it better than Mother? Exclamation mark. Uncapitalised. <laughs> so you can summarise this film quite simply, can't you? It's a story of four people, one of whom is one of them, one of them's mothers. Yes. All of whom suffer from an addiction, a crippling substance abuse problem, and their lives spiral from actually not a very high starting point. So, no, in fact, no. in some senses, it's not spiralling, but their lives do unravel in a um, harrowing way. They spray out. Yes. And that's they scatter it. scatter like shot from a gun. There's nothing more complicated than that, really, is there, about this film? It's just... It's, it, it, it's, it's essentially drama, drama documentation of, of that process, isn't it? So, it's set on Coney Island. Yeah, New Brighton, or whatever it is. Now, actually, this is from a novel. Um, yes. I can't remember the guy's name who wrote the novel. but They secured the rights quite early, I think, on it. In the novel, it was supposed to be set in Brooklyn, but uh, for whatever reason, Aronofsky thought Coney Island was a bit more photogenic. And it, I do like the shots on the funfair stuff. Cute word, liminal. I say that they're not in a very good position to start with because at the start we see the main sort of protagonist of the film played by Jared Leto, quite young as well, in 2000. And he's taking his mum's TV from the house to, to a porn. porn shop so he can buy his next fix of heroin. He's a smack addict, along with his friend, uh, played by Marlon Wayans, Tyrone, his druggy friend. Jared Leto, Leto, uh, he's actually, he started off in US sitcom or US sort of teen drama, incredibly. So he, he like, he he ventured into what I guess is, you know, the hard edge of, of art core here uh, from a quite traditional sort of acting background. And his, um, his, Harry's, Jared Leto's girlfriend is played by Jennifer Connelly, I think, isn't it? Yes. It's one of her first outings. She's looking amazing in it, isn't she? She really looked really fit. <laughs> and his mum is played very memorably by Ellen Burstyn in this. Now, she has a journey where she loses weight. She actually appears quite plump. Is she sort of like... It's prosthetic. It's prosthetic. It's prosthetic. Brilliant, isn't it? At the it? beginning. Amazing. amazing. Wow. Wow. Prosthetic, really convincing. But, yeah, I mean, it's good makeup, but also... Ellen Burstyn pulls it off, you know, if you act well with it, it's convincing. And I think she does that. She really... Look, 
I, I reckon this film is better, as I said to Mother, and I'm going to make a case that Ellen Burstyn's performance is one of the main reasons. I think she does an amazing job in this. She has a couple of uh, soliloquies about, you know, ageing and stuff, which are pretty moving, I think. And it's it's really getting to something about the psychology that she is in as a person, as a, an elderly or an ageing woman, and as a drug addict as well. Because she, as you say, gets addicted to diet pills because mm-hmm. she's convinced herself. I'm not sure it's really true, is it? But she's convinced herself that she's going to be on TV. She's addicted to this like self-help guru's TV program. She does get a letter in the post, and that is genuine, saying, do you want to appear on a show? But I'm not sure it's his show, is it? Yeah. And of course, nothing comes of it. Isn't it, because, more like like, a, isn't it more like one of those Reader's Digest checks through the mail kind of things? It's... Yes, yeah. And for the boys, it's an age-old story. They're doing heroin and listening to music, and they have <laughs> dreams of... They've got dreams of dealing themselves because that would you know, give them some financial security. And, of course, they'll get drugs as well. We all know how that works out, generally speaking. Now, his girlfriend, played by Jennifer... Connolly? Played by uh, Jennifer Connolly. She's kind of slumming it, isn't she? Well, she's like the daughter of some rich parents, isn't she? And so emotionally estranged, and but still financed by them. So she doesn't exactly have to be in that relationship with him doing what she's doing, does she? Yeah, but, I mean, Jared Leto's a good-looking guy, isn't he? I mean, he may be, he may be not from a privileged background. He looks a bit like... Emo without his makeup from the present day, though, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, true. He looks like Lincoln Park after it's gone to military school, kind of. <laughs> but it's what I call the CBBC 2000 style. Like, everybody's dressed almost like children. Uh, like, like a colored, like a colored flannel shirt, those kind of baggy, but not quite baggy jeans, some sort of Converse sneakers, and some weird close to the head fringe thing going on which is coming back into fashion recently I think <laughs> I no. particularly enjoyed the dated aspects of the cultural references here like the way they do turntables and are really into the specific beeps and bops of the techno music they're playing as they're you know getting high <laughs> like we wouldn't obsess about crap music like that anymore would we well listen this, the novel was set in the 70s, written I suppose, ah. in the 70s. But when they did the film, they set it in the 80s. And I think that... Oh, it's meant to be set in the 80s? Yeah, well, obviously, because you're getting all that house music, aren't you? Like you were saying. And oh, I thought it was supposed to be contemporary, like 2000. No, it's supposed to be a period piece, isn't it? Is it? I didn't get that. I wasn't particularly paying attention. <laughs> to those cues, yeah. You're right. Actually, it is fairly timeless, actually, in a lot of ways. But I think, I think, accept that. Um, and we'll come to this in perhaps a bit more detail. But I think the way that they depict the medical establishment might have rung true in the 70s, but seems, I think, quite skewed ah, for the 80s. 
Okay. Yeah. No, it is making sense. Yeah. 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 His fashions are supposed to be 80s fashions. Yeah. But then house music really... Oh, so it's really cutting... They're really at the cutting edge of house music then. That's why the guys are so excited by their beeps and their bops. Yeah, it's it's New York. Okay. New York house, isn't it, early on? Yeah. Wow. Okay, it did quite well at the box office for this hard-edged art house. 4.5 million budget, 7.4 million it took in, which you have to say is a relative success. Mother did exceptionally a lot better. I think his no. best one was the one in between these those two, which is Noah, which is oh, God. full. I don't know. <laughs> I knew you were going to do that when I mentioned it, which was hugely successful and very, very mainstream, I would imagine. He seems to like that stuff, doesn't he? But there's no religion in this film. Harvard graduate. Well, the, the, only, the only thing they worship here is drugs, substances. Now, we're going to see quite a lot of people getting... Wasting high on drugs, aren't we? And so there's a direct. I did directorial... skip a bit these montages. <laughs> well, yeah, he's got a directorial kind of thing, a motif, which we're going to see again and again when people get high, which happens quite and a again. Lot. It's like injection. Then we see a white blood cell for some reason. Then some fluid streaming past a white blood cell. Then their eyes dilating. Yes. But that's wrong because on opiates, on heroin, your pupils go to a point, they pin. They're called pinned pupils. Do they? Yeah. Now, if you're taking uppers or, you know, speed like the mummy's taking, then you dilate. Pupils dilate. But on downers, on opiates, they you get pinned eyes. So not quite accurate, but I guess he can be let off. But it, it's... This is part of the directorial, directorial style, isn't it? He likes to do the intercuts of things and these fast... It, it's very it fast cutting, does. this film. I'm not going to argue with that. It really is, yes. (laughs) It reaches a crescendo of cutting when we get to the end. Well, I'll not mention what happens. No plot spoilers at this point. But uh, we cut and cut and cut and cut and cut to various awful Mm. scenes of all the four people. And it it just continues for about four minutes, cutting every half second, maybe, with some really quite shall we say challenging and perhaps jarring classical music uh, of a Stravinsky-esque kind Uh, and the uh, the music listen the music in this film was by Clint Mansell who did the music in Moon for instance and is on our Spotify playlist and I didn't know that this music is highly regarded right it's been Oh, I'm not saying that. I mean, it was very challenging classical music that they were freaking out to. It was just three and a half minutes of it with some flash photography just going on continuously. It's the cinematic I mean, cinematic equivalent of a cluster munition. Yes. Yeah. It also might, you know, might reflect cold turkey that some of them were going through at the time, perhaps. No, no, they're out of cold turkey. But I imagine, you know, the hard steel edge of cold turkey feels a little bit like that. This, when you say cold turkey, of course, the classic cold turkey movie would be Train Spotting, right? Yeah. And it, this movie often gets lumped in with a bunch of those kind of drug related movies. But, you know, I mean. But fundamentally, Train Spotting is humorous. It's humorous. It's got dark. It doesn't take it serious, itself too seriously. doesn't yet. take it seriously, no. And this, therefore, you can get through. <laughs> yeah, this is not that. <laughs> You know, I read something here. I probably culled this from IMDb or something. 
Apparently, Jared Leto said in an interview to Rolling Stone that he would shoot up water while hanging around real-life junkies. This is true. Yes, 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 yes. And he said shooting up anything was intense and he'd never do it again. Which I could understand because uh, I can remember... I can shooting remember, up? No. <laughs> I've never done any drugs of any kind. But I, uh, not knowing... Coffee, anyway. well, alcohol... Okay, okay. <laughs> don't, don't excuse yourself medication, Rich, just because it's legal. So I was in hospital for food poisoning... And I'd been on a plane. I'd been on a plane, so I was dehydrated, not only from the atmosphere of the plane, but also from throwing up all the time every 20 minutes. So when I got to the hospital, uh, I was really dehydrated. I was parched. You know, I wanted a drink, but I couldn't really keep it down. And so they gave me uh, just a saline drip. And that was so amazing. (laughs) Just, it was, you know, glucose. Well, it's just, no, it was just saline, I think, but it was just getting. Just there must be some glucose in, in there too. You know, the, it's straight into your vein. Oh, it was the most cool and refreshing thing. Oh, amazing. I, so, I don't like the way you're talking, Richard. I'm I can sorry. understand. I can understand. that. It, no, I do understand. I had a glucose saline drip. So the boys, Tyrone and Harry, they get some heroin to sell. Yeah. Um, initially, Harry doesn't want to take it. I think he kind of realizes that fucks fucks things up, but of course they quality do. Quality control. They can't help themselves, can they? And this is what one of the things the film does really well is it expresses this, you know, the agony of an addiction, of you know, particularly something you're physiologically dependent on. But uh, and it's mirrored both the 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 heroin users and the mum doing the amphetamines both have this struggle don't they where you know they just can't stop they can't help themselves but take it i think it's summarized it's i've read somewhere it's summarized you know it's about it's about addiction but it's also about loneliness but it's also about uh the deception that arises from a failure to confront and accept reality for what it is that's to say you know uh it's not that you can't have dreams that can surpass reality. It's rather these people, these people's dreams aren't based on an acceptance of what reality and how bad it really is, you know. So, so they're never going to lose their impetus for for the addictions that they have. So, I thought that was quite neatly encapsulated in the entire movie. Well, one of the things about drugs is research has shown that with mice, anyway. <laughs> important caveat. <laughs> In mice, in the laboratory. Uh, they did an experiment where they got mice and they put some kind of drug in their water bottles. Oh, it's famous, isn't it? Yeah. And then there was also water bottles without the drug. And mice that were, are under stress and are unhappy, That's use, right, they yeah. use the drugged water bottle. But mice that are happy and otherwise, maybe they're rats, I don't know, some rodents. It was rats, yeah. yeah. Ones that are happy and are not stressed can take it or leave it. They don't need the drug. They, they'll happily drink, or perhaps more preferably drink, from the undrugged water. Yeah. And, you know, all of these people have got sort of deep-seated problems that they're trying to cope with. And in a sense, that is why they're doing these drugs and why they're addicted to them. Because the other thing is, though, 
I don't know. I don't know whether this is really so much true with heroin. I suppose it must be. I mean, heroin hits your pleasure centers in some way, doesn't it? I think. But oh, yeah, dopamine. I think, or the other one, the other big one. Well, this is it. Yeah, well, dopamine. I think. Um, and you know, but also also true of cocaine, isn't it? As well, and and um, ecstasy, uh, MDMA. But when you do this habitually. Your brain tolerates the dopamine or whatever pleasure chemicals that you normally uses, builds up a tolerance to them, not just to the drug, but to the actual neurotransmitter. So when you te- when you're off the drug, your now normal human levels of those sort of pleasure chemicals don't give you any effect, or you've habituated to them. So mm-hmm. now you feel joy less when you're not using the yeah. drug. And what's what? What can cure it? The only thing that can cure it instantly is more drug, that will you know give you even more of this stuff. So you get this anhedonia, as it's called, where you just can't feel joy without being on the drug, which is a horrific trap. Sorry, that's very serious, but but yeah, I think this film is addressing that, isn't it? It's so depressing. <laughs> yeah. So you were saying they hatch a plan, Kana. But if for some reason, it all goes awry when the mafia decide to start a turf war, and they happen to be about to meet a deaf guy or a, a, a dumb guy, a deaf and dumb guy who's the head, the head dealer killer. for yeah. the for the black crew in town. Is that right? Yeah. Well, yeah, they've been cutting and dealing, haven't they? And they're getting uh, they're getting loads of money, earning a reputation with the big guys. Things actually seem to be working out for Harry and yeah. his yeah. girlfriend. I think she's called Marion, isn't she? But she's Jennifer Connolly's, you know, doing fashion design. She wants to open a clothes shop. They get to get gather enough money to put a deposit on a shop. Um, and meanwhile, his mum. I mean, you gone, can imagine with a different roll of dice, this would turn out okay, wouldn't it? I mean, that's it. Yeah, it it does kind of hinge. Although it also seems inevitable that they're going to keep yeah. on using more yeah. and more, and it's it's not going to work out. And his mum, meanwhile, has gone to the doctors. In one of the many scenes where the medical establishment doesn't turn out very well, she's <laughs> treated terribly by a doctor who just gives her the latest diet pills, which are amphetamines, basically. And Plus again, some sleeping tablets. Again, I think that's a 70s thing, isn't it, when they were doing that? Yeah. Not, not so much an 80s thing. We'll take sure. issue with that when we get to the end of the plot. I, but yeah, there's a lot to take issue with. In, in both of the major medical interventions, the three medical interventions for the mother in the film. Yeah, At the uh, at this point in the movie, there is this scene where Harry goes to visit his mum, and he's he's bought her a new TV, and he's talking to her about you know stuff. They're not really connecting very well, partly because she's yeah. buzzing. She's been doing the vacuuming for twenty four hours nonstop. <laughs> yeah, and he figures out that she's taking these diet pills because she's grinding her teeth all the time, and he, you know, he chews her ear up for taking these things tells her to stop this is it isn't it I think this is quite a pivotal scene because you know at the same on the one hand Harry's obviously caring for his mum for the first time perhaps you know he seems to be in a position where he can help her out he is trying to help she's trapped in exactly the same situation that he's trapped in really Mm -hmm. he is hypocritical but you know what you know what else can they do and of course it doesn't work it's an intervention that's doomed to fail just the same way that he knew he shouldn't have taken the stuff when they bought the stuff to sell, but he, they both did anyway. So they've up the stakes and they've gone to meet the deaf and dumb head black 
head of the black crew in town. Uh, they meet him in his limousine. They want to go up the scale, don't they, and start. Everything's gone really well. They've checked out. Harry's a reliable guy, uh, you know, and he's, what's his friend called? Tyrone. 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 You know, they're, they're a good outfit. You could see how they'd be viewed as, as, as an asset of street dealers, you know. So they get the nod. And, uh, then the limousine's, uh, driver sort of, you know, opens the, the, uh, the d- divider between him and the rest of the car. And they're like, whoa, whoa, you're doing well. You've got a, you've got a white driver. And of course the white driver turns around and shoots, shoots the head honcho and everybody else in the car. And they, they do a run out and get arrested. They weren't both in there. It was only Tyrone in the car. Cause it was it's only in there. Cause sorry. it's the black yeah. crew, right? I guess it's the black, it's a black crew. Yeah. Tyrone gets arrested. Harry bails him out. That's right. I'm sorry. Yeah, but because of gang war going on, the supply in the city dries up, and they can't. And in any him. case, he's just bailed him out with most of his money, so he hasn't got much else to to finance anything. Yeah. So. This is intercut with his mum, who's habituating to her drugs. She starts upping yeah. her dosage, quite against any medical advice, of course. They keep and using the term. Push at this off point, does the fridge high. start to have conversations with her? <laughs> Or she's just looking at it warily. Yeah, she's obviously keen on eating, isn't, isn't she? She's not going to put any weight on, though. As you say, she's jumping around the I flat. I mean, before she went to the doctor, she was on the boiled egg and black coffee and something else, grapefruit diet, which is well known to work, provided you do it with cigarettes. <laughs> is that right? Yeah, because, I mean, nicotine is a huge appetite suppressant. suppressant. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah. So is coffee. Yeah, uh, is it to an extent? Okay, yeah, to an extent. They keep using the term "push off" to mean take drugs. Is that yeah? Is that the term you were? F- I'll go. It's your making familiar. sense now because the way he talked about uppers, he used a, f- a, a, a janky phrase for it that was obviously eighties. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. I'd, I'd never heard "push off" before, and I've seen this movie before. It obviously hadn't clicked with me last time. Wow. So. The boys are desperate to get a bit more money so they can get another load of drugs from somewhere. They're not quite sure. What do they hear on the grapevine? Well, well, ah, so his girlfriend, Marion, sometimes meets up with her therapist who's got a creepy interest in her. And Harry suggests that she sleeps with him for money. Uh, He's obviously quite well, 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 he's a psychiatrist or something, isn't he? So I guess he's stacked. But they're after 2K. Which has got to be a hell of a night, you'd think. <laughs> Obviously, this doesn't... I mean, she doesn't take well to this. She's not very happy about doing it. But she's desperate, equally desperate for drugs because, you know, she's been doing it with Harry. Harry's kind of starting to pimper at this point, therefore, informally, isn't he? In a way, yeah. In a certain sort of way. In, mod- in, a modern, in modern definitions, he would now be trafficking. Traffic. He'd be seen as traffic, trafficking somebody vulnerable, wouldn't he? Harry and Tyrone, meanwhile, are trying to score. They go to this place where apparently there are loads of people going there. It must be the, the only shipment in in town at the time. Um, but it all goes wrong. Someone pulls a gun. Shots are fired. The truck drives away with Florida orange on the side. It seems like it seems like Florida becomes this place that they want to go to yeah. to to get the drugs. It becomes like a a distant place where they can get whatever they need. Yeah, um, Marion at a point, she's crazy mad because she slept with this guy and they haven't got any drugs and she's presumably going to cold turkey. 
she gets the number of a dealer from her boyfriend. But I think Tyrone said that this guy's like a real sleazebag and has these sex parties. So they don't really want... I don't think Marion wants to go to see him at this point, but that comes up later, doesn't it? Yeah. So the two boys head off on essentially what is a road trip to Florida. That's right, yeah. And his mum, meanwhile, has basically gone mad with stimulant psychosis, which I may have mentioned is a condition I've seen too much from people who habitually do drugs. And it's but you've seen chronic. acute stuff, yeah. I mean, hers is chronic. It doesn't go away, really, does it? Well, it starts off acute in everybody, doesn't it? But it, as they do more, it just becomes a chronic condition. And and I, I you know, this me, this me. We've all seen it in the town centre when we get approached for change. You know. No, I think it's worse than that. Actually, I, I think because actually not these days because often they're on spice these days. But before. 15, 20 years ago, you know, often amphetamine, because it's cheap. Uh, amphetamine psychosis was the reason people were jabbering at you whilst they were asking for spare change. And most of the reason why they didn't get any spare change, because they were being so fucking rude and off their heads. Look, it's a very common symptom of taking a lot of psychoactives that it makes people paranoid, right? I mean, you hear people yeah. doing weed say that they get paranoid. And there's, oh, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think there's two explanations for that. One is, first of all, you're doing an illegal substance, right? And for a lot of people, some people at least, depending on your class and privilege, it may be the only or the most illegal thing you ever do in many ways is acquiring, absolutely. acquiring the drugs. Uh, so that's bound to make you slightly... Look over your shoulder. Exactly, yeah. But secondly, a lot of psychoactives... Triggering your brain to fire off neurons of essentially unconnected ideas. And, you know, I think this must be true of stimulants of most kinds, but maybe all psychoactives have this effect. And I I think, and I, you know, it's not, this is anecdotal, but it does seem to me that people who are habitual drug users are very prone to connecting ideas and being very paranoid about things and buying into conspiracy theories. And I think they just see things, two things, and connect them together. Whereas, you know, you or I looking at them would, you know, make no connection. For them, it just becomes inherently connected. And then, you know, they have a confirmation bias thing going on and they see it again and again. And that's at the lowest end of stimulant psychosis. But, you know, obviously it can get worse and it goes up right up to people not, you know, understanding reality at all. So the mum, all she wants to get is in her red dress to fit in it so she can go on the TV show that probably doesn't exist anymore or the invitation to do, to do so. But now the fridge is roaring, <laughs> you know, is roaring insults at her and the host and participants in the TV show she loves watching, the quiz show, whatever it is she watches, they kind of appear as as apparitions. Yeah, she has dreams. Mocking apparitions, dancing yeah. around her in her house. You yeah. know? So she's inhabiting... A pure hell. A fantasy world, yeah. Well, as you say, a hell fantasy. And on the road to Florida, Harry has noticed that he's got a red mark on his arm, his injection site. And uh, this is one of those, you know, medical conditions in a film, you know, like when someone coughs, they're, they're bound to die of cancer shortly afterwards. <laughs> you know, <laughs> when someone is scratching at, you know, a red mark, you know, you know something. T- Terrible is going to happen. 
It's going to be a, a cesshole of weeping puss in, in no time at all. Yeah. Marion, meanwhile, being left by the boys while they go to Florida, and she's still got, not got any drugs, and he's jonesing Makes for Makes that fix. phone call. Yeah, she calls this guy Angel, I think he's called. Um, and she winds up getting dolled up to go along. To meet Big Tim. Uh, his mum winds up travelling on the on the tube, but not the, they don't call it a tube down the in, in in New York. What do they call it? In, in New York subway know. metro subway. And to go see the casting, she goes to the TV studio, the casting couch, yeah. and the yeah. very nice lady at reception deals with this uh, crazy woman, and she gets sectioned. They they come and t- they literally come and take her away. Uh, Harry. Winds up with gangrene in his arm. And Tyrone, he has to take him to hospital, right? And in the hospital, the doctor clocks that this must be a heroin user. So he calls the cops. You know, in the. That is very 80s. Yeah. This is real war and drug stuff, isn't it? And, you know, surely, even in the 80s, the doctors would not treat him. For the gangrene, they would just get him arrested. They would do. I, I, I thought this was maybe artistic license to 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 an unfair degree because this is art. You know, it's very artsy moments, but it's supposed to be grit a dreamscape realistic. of grit yeah. and realism. You know, it's supposed to you were supposed to see them on the merry-go-round in a very gritty and realistic setting, and so I thought that that plot turn wasn't too satisfying. They overplay their hand, yeah. I think I think that's true. It's, it's my biggest area of criticism, I think. Meanwhile, his mum is being force-fed with a feeding tube up her nose in a mental institution. She's being terribly treated as well by the psychiatric nurses. She's, you know, routinely strapped down to the bed. And The doctor comes in and says, look, none of this is working. We just sign away this waiver so we can give you some ECT. And... His girlfriend, meanwhile, is getting ready to prostitute herself with this drug dealer guy. Big Tim. With Angel. And Big Tim, is he called? I think so. He introduced himself as Big Tim to her, but maybe he's called Angel to his associates. <laughs> now, the boys have been arrested. No, it's just Big Tim says, uh, oh, you paddy, you paddy chicks give such good head. Yeah. Paddy That's chicks? That's why I chose you. I think he means Irish girls. Is she Irish? Is that, is that, okay. No. Well, maybe in the movie she is. <laughs> now, uh, the boys were arrested in a southern state as they were on the way to Florida. I guess it would be South Carolina or something. Like and so Tyrone is enduring racist abuse from the jailers. And this is the sequence at the very end, isn't it? Which is a sequence of yes. fast cuts to terrible things. Harry gets his arm amputated, apparently without anaesthetic, apparently with blood spurting all over him if he does so. And apparently he'd be dead in a few days, but he doesn't die in the end. And then a scene for which this film is almost legendary. Marion is doing um, a kind of group sex thing in front of a. Oh wow! In front of a yeah, group so she's of- been on the she's been on the other side of Hollywood casting couch with Big Tim, who did who admits that her blowjobs are good. And he says, right, well, you've got the big part. Do you want some of this? Do you want some of this sniff? Throws her a bag of drugs and says, be up there on Friday evening when I've got some friends coming around, some clients, and you can entertain them and kind of stuff. So she's like, well, I'm not that addicted. He's like, yeah, tell somebody else. Because he knows she's going to be there. So she finds herself in this 
in the middle of this baying crowd of businessmen sort of throwing He's money paid top dollar, presumably. And uh, one of them says, go ass to ass. And Prissy's She's like, what's that? <laughs> and her co-star, as it were, it's got a double-ended dildo that they're going to share. Now, uh, as they're doing this, it's all been looed up. There's some really quite squeamish parts of this. Uh, like, the crowd are being come, come, come. Yeah, come, I noticed that. Come. But they women don't have, unless I, I, I'm wrong about this, they don't have prostate glands here. Yeah, well, so also I don't. Understand. I don't know how. It's not. I don't know how it could be pleasurable. It's not really normally in the. I, I don't think guys watching strippers and sex performers really interested in seeing the woman come, are they? I mean, so, <laughs> that's not their main concern, is it? Seems a bit of an unusual thing to chant. I did know. I wrote that down explicitly because of that. That same query that I had. <laughs> but uh, unless they both finger the gold leaf filigree at the front, you know, I don't know how. <laughs> I don't know how that's going to happen because there's no prostate gland back there. So. <laughs> so so it was interesting. I thought that bit. And really, that's it. That's, it. that's the end of the movie. And we've learned yeah. something. Now, it's the 80s, so I can see how her little performance, which in essence... Is just like a throwing doors, you know, thing, really. If you know, if if you, if because she's already in the industry now, so we'd imagine she's, you know, she's got used to it as an act kind of thing. But it seems to really throw her off, and she's just crumpled up. Well, you know, look it, on the set forever. It is supposed to signify, you know, the real, you know, bottom of the barrel kind of the, the lowest yeah. ebb, the lowest moment. I have an issue with that. You know, I think. I think one of the things that this film does... <sighs> this film's quite moralistic, isn't it, really? And it is it, very moralistic. It's trying to tell you that, first of all, sex work... Don't do drugs. Sex work is inherently, you know, a, 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 a shameful thing to have to do. Perhaps even evil. And that there is something particularly shameful about some kind of anal sex play. Um, both of, isn't that strange? Or is it trying to reflect 80s values? I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to find a way out for it. It's also, as we've discussed, it's also very uh, harsh on the medical establishment. Uh, you know, the way they treat yeah. the mum, the way they give her ECT and the way... But, uh, well, I mean, it, you know, in a sense, there was nothing else they could do for ECT us, was still administered in the 80s in the US, but not as a matter of course. I mean, it is still administered for certain conditions, I think. It is. Yeah. It's come back. It's made a comeback, yeah. Uh, it was almost entirely stopped in the 2000s, I think, in the US. Uh but this casual use of ECT, uh, the way that's presented, it would be a somewhat anomalous occurrence, I think, for you know, for her to be a, an average pepper abuser being given ECT to make her antipsychotic or to take away a psychosis. I, I don't think that would be a normal run of things in, in the 1980s of America, to be honest. So this is a bit of a stretch, wasn't it? The other stretch is, I'm not really sure what, Harry and Tyrone were actually arrested for. I mean, they didn't have any drugs on them because they were, were desperate and going to buy them, weren't they? And, all right, so maybe Harry was a drug user, an intravenous drug user. He could, can you be arrested for having used drugs? Is that really no. a thing? No. no and no. Tyrone wasn't... Well, I mean, maybe he had track marks or something, but, you know, again, same issue. I don't, so... <sighs> 
I think this film slightly overplays its hand, but I guess that's down to the book. Presumably this is all from the text. That's a fair observation, yeah. yeah. But that said, this is a much more coherent movie than Mother. <laughs> uh, Plot-wise, it's extremely simplistic, isn't it, really? Yeah. Uh, because, again, it was written by an author, not by Aronofsky, probably. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's well written. Uh, it takes a linear plot, uh, well, collinear plots, uh, with a coherent theme uh, and develops characters or rather unravels characters along that line. So it's obviously well written and the simplicity isn't a criticism. You know, it works well as a plot. It doesn't require much thought, does it? You know, we'd have to work out what's going on like with James Bond plots because they're just needlessly, needlessly convoluted. I think as well, as I said at the start, Ellen Burstyn's performance as Sarah, his mum, is Oscar worthy. And I'm not alone in saying that. A lot of people said that. In the year that this was out, the Oscar went to... I think that year, the Oscar went to Julia Roberts for Erin Brockovich. I wow. believe. Was this Julia Roberts proving she's a very serious actress? Like like what that uh, Nicole Kidman did with that dogwheel thing? Well, I think the Oscars has a hard-on for roles where you're playing a real person. So I think that maybe oh definitely I think that maybe why she did it. But Ellen Burstyn's performance in this film I think is amazing. I think it's very moving. Very you know. So I was going to say go back to the plot. It is a straightforward, well written, simple plot that essentially is collinear trajectories of disintegration. And, and what the direct de- director does is take that grittiness and throw onto it impressionistic, semi-impressionistic montages and they're in a life kind of thing. And that all works really well. I just felt that the themes, if we're going to have it gritty, then we need to somehow confront the themes, the themes on an intellectual level. And he failed to do that completely. I mean, this isn't, there's no philosophy behind this movie apart from. Well, apart from like maybe a moralizing conservative. Apart from some soapbox moralizing, really. I mean, it, it's, I think it's against the war on drugs concept. I think it's against the idea. I think it it does seem to promote the idea that you should treat drug abuse as a disease, you know, as a as a medical issue rather yeah. than a crime. I read that he felt Aronofsky felt that at the end only Tyrone had any hope left because in his jail cell he still had his memories, his childhood memories of his mother. Yeah, and the other characters seem to have lost everything. You know, uh, Sarah had lost ev- her personality, uh, intellect, and Harry had lost his arm, <laughs> and I guess um, Marion has lost her dignity. But again, you know, seems like she was in the best position to oh. me. She wasn't in jail. She presumably is getting paid. She's got still got rich parents. Maybe have disowned her, but I'm sure they'd take her back. So uh, I think, you know, of all of them, I'd rather be her. <laughs> and then, of course, at the end, we see, we see Harry confirming the director's decision to shoot, it, to shoot it in New Brighton. We have, keyword, liminal moment where he kind of walks up the pier. Yeah. Missing it. It's a dreamscape, so he's actually not got an arm, but in the shot, he's got arms because he's dreaming it. He walks up to a lady in a red dress uh, and it it's supposed to be Marion, but... 
it's just a dream kind of thing. And there's a big, you know, gaping ski sea before them and they're on the edge of a pier kind of thing. And there's a lightness to a soft focus to, to, to the cinematography to show that it's a dream sequence. Uh, but that's reflected back towards the fact his mother wanted to turn up in a red dress to the TV show. And she's imagining Harry turning up at the TV show as her special guest as she's in a beautiful red dress kind of thing. So I think there's an attempt at some sort of symmetrical poignancy there. Uh, the shots are very nice, the end shot uh, on the pier. But again, I, I, I think it's a little bit all thunder and no lightning in okay. terms of what's going on in his brain when he's doing these things. So let us do some scores then, Paul. How about starting with acting? The acting was top-notch from everybody. Yes, it was. Uh, I agree. Yeah, so an eight. Jennifer Connelly, um, obviously she's been in Labyrinth, and more recently in the TV Snowpiercer series. Obviously we watched the movie Snowpiercer, but she's been in the TV series. And Ellen Burson is amazing, and Jared Leto and uh, Marlon Wayans both doing a stand-up job. So I'm going. Two to- male leads were really attractive, so that doesn't doesn't harm them, does it? Really, uh, and of course Jennifer's like, she's getting on now, isn't she? You know, she's middle aged now, but, yeah, uh, but she's, she's absolutely she's stunning. She still there. looks stunning now. So I'm going to give yeah. this a nine for acting and for fitness too. <laughs> and you know, for a senior citizen, the mum's the mum. She's rocking. You know, she's looking great. So well, yeah. <laughs> so after acting, we're going to do. Plot. Yeah, I mean, it's a well-written story. It goes where it needs to go, and it goes there at a fairly decent pace. I did feel it was sluggish at times, uh, and I did feel there wasn't much in terms of pivotal moments that redirected motivation, sentiment, loyalties, and intention within the main characters. But then again, they're all on drugs, so... Uh, maybe have to cut a bit of slack there. It makes him, I, I think it, it makes him difficult to like. I, I don't empathise him well with the characters because they're on drugs. Maybe that's just me. Yeah. It, it is quite cold emotionally as a result of that, isn't it? You, you don't really ever root for them, yeah, I don't think. Th- I think that's right. The mother, maybe. Yeah. Uh, I'm just saying that ultimately it didn't really go anywhere, but it's about druggies and druggies never really go anywhere. (laughs) Well, that's why they're on drugs because, you know, they're locked in a quite infantile stage of self-deception, aren't they? So, so I don't know if that's well observed or just the fact that the plot didn't go particularly anywhere, but as it was, it was very well scripted. So I'm going to give it a seven. I I think I will also give it a seven. I I think, Again, we we mentioned some criticisms of the piece, which might in part be because it was supposed to be in the 70s. One thing that I read which surprised me and amazed me was Aronofsky, I think, had wanted to make the lead characters much younger, like sort of 15, 16. And he he spoke to the author about it, who agreed that was a good idea. And then I think the studio said no. (laughs) And they went back to the book, kind of. I think we have to score it oh. on. On? What's the category? Impressionistic and not necessarily indulgent montages. 
Yeah. Artsiness. Okay, artsiness, yeah. Look, well, look, it expresses a mood. It is a requiem for Oh, very well, yeah. In that sense, it succeeds. Um, So I can give it an eight, guarded eight. I, I like the take on that. You know, it's train spotter is a mood also. Train spotting is a mood also, isn't it? Uh, yeah. I like that take and therefore I'm going to have to upscore it from what I thought. Uh, I did really appreciate the challenging and jarring classical music. It was a really good musical score if we're going to score artsiness. Uh, and the somewhat these days looking quite gauche fast cuts between characters at the time was quite seminal. Yeah. Did say, hey, gritty. Yeah. Uh, I didn't particularly like the sort of uh, warehouse scenes, like the we're urban poor, we are the urban street people, we hang out talking about deals <laughs> in a deserted warehouse. But then, now you've told me, it's 1980s, trying to be 1970s, I thought that wasn't a step too far. That's how people used to hang out, isn't it? I mean, uh, people's, Talk on Snapchat these days, don't they? <laughs> yeah. They post on Snapchat. No, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, so yeah, so yeah, I'm going to have to upscore it to a 7.5 for arts in us. Yeah, I'm going to give it an eight. It's, and, and in this, I'm hoping, I, I'm hoping I'm scoring it much higher than Mother. I'm sure I am. Uh, I think it's much more. Stick- <laughs> yeah. So overall, then, Paul, what is the overall score for Requiem for a Dream? I'm going to score it a seven. Uh, it is mercifully not a long art movie. It's not long. Uh, no. It's one hour 40. It's never going to bore you, even though it is a touch sluggish at times. Uh, yeah. I mean, I felt I was challenged. I felt I was shocked <laughs> at times. I, I felt it, it, it did do what it set out to do, was to make you think about these things and, and also to, I don't know. It was challenging. It's challenging. You challenging a lot. The thing is, I don't think this is a film you can really like. In a sense, you don't enjoy it, and that's an important caveat for this film, right? It's mm-hmm. it's not a fun experience. It is worthwhile. It's though. worthwhile. Yeah. So I'll give it a seven. Like, yeah. I, 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 but I don't know who you recommend this to. You know, you're not going to show this to your mum. I don't think. I don't think. <laughs> Um, at what age would you show your kids this movie? I don't know. Before? I don't know. Maybe before you think they're doing drugs? Or? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know who is supposed to be recommended this film, but it it's a worthy bit. Do you know what, Paul? We haven't pre-discussed what movie we're going to watch next week, and so we're going to have... No, we ain't. But I'll tell we you something. Here's a thing Go that on. may settle this matter. I believe that this Saturday I'm going to be seeing Batman. The new Batman. The new Batman. In the cinema with Robert Pattinson. He's going with you. No. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah, that's right. I spoke to him. He said he was free. And so he's going to show me yeah, what it's all about. Really. Just quickly explain the franchisation of Batman. It, it's, huh? it's, it's not Marvel, is it? No, it's DC Comics, Paul. It's DC. So it's with Superman and Wonder Woman. But this is strictly a Batman-only piece, I believe. And who owns DC in the in in the film studio terms? Oh God, I don't know. I thought it was Warner Brothers, but I could be wrong. It is Warner Brothers, yeah. yeah. I know it's not Disney, Paul. So 
Yeah, you, and it's not Universal, therefore. So you might be upset about it because don't Disney now own Universal? Uh, does that does that mean that you're not allowed to see it? Perhaps will you be forbidden? Will your Disney chip go off? <laughs> no, I only play this game with Uni- with Unilever products. Oh. I started as a joke. See how much of my basket I can fill with Unilever, and now. Like, if it comes to washing detergent, I'm going to buy Purcell because it's Unilever. And, you know, I now know that so many things are Unilever, like like Bovril and Marmite. Like, on that unpleasant spread, <laughs> the whole sector, they've got a virtual monopoly. Uh, I just find it fascinating. But no, my, you know, that's that loyalty is there just as it started off as, as a silly game instead of drinking, you know. Uh a drinking game that you don't have to drink to. So shall we do Batman or do we need another film in case? Let me give you another choice. And that is the house that Jack built. Lars von Trier. So hopefully join us next time for Batman. Is that okay, Richard? Can we say it that way? Yes, we can say it that way. And I can say Slava Ukraina. Barring World War Three. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Until the next time. Goodbye. Okay, ciao for now, everybody. 